everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Life Wrap Physical Security Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Value, and my guest today is Michael McCabe, CEO of Intelligence Fusion. And Mike, we had a great chat before we hit record about crowdsourced intelligence and some of the interesting work you're doing there. What sparked your interest initially in this topic? Hi, Robert. So for me, it goes back to probably 2010. So I used to work for um, a company called Olive Group, and I was based in Basra. Um, so we set up the Business Solutions Operations Center, which was the first joint Iraqi security force, private security um, company operations center in Iraq's history. And part of what we did there was, it was about information sharing. So there was a Skype group chat that we had, and there was intelligence analysts, security managers from different companies who were operating in the province. And we used that as a way to just share information and achieve a consensus regarding what happened. Because at the time, you know, this was before social media was huge. We'd use things like local media to research incidents. So say, for example, an ID would detonate in Basra City, I might jump onto the Skype chat and say, I've heard there's been an explosion at such and such a location. Anybody else got any information? And throughout the day, we generally add more information that we were hearing from our different sources and we'd come up with some sort of consensus between us. Um, so, you know, between a group of us, we crowdsource the actual answer to what happened in that incident. At the time, I sort of came away from Iraq and was thinking, well, why isn't there something like that globally? You know, why isn't there just a platform that you can log into and, and share information with interested parties? And that was kind of the part of the sort of initial idea for intelligence fusion. And even though that was sort of 12 years ago now, I'd say us as a company, we're only really starting to really have a good go at crowdsourcing. And it's now become huge, which is interesting. But when I was sort of banging on about this about eight to 10 years ago, there were people who were very negative regarding it because they saw it as being, well, how do you actually police the information that you're receiving? Which is, these are sort of questions that we've had to answer over the years as we kind of really push on with crowdsourcing. For me, that's where it all began with that, that Basra Skype group chat. And more brains tackling the problem are more effective than just one person alone in a room. Absolutely. So let's just kind of maybe take a big step back for someone who hasn't heard the term before, might be less familiar. How exactly do you and your team at Intelligence Fusion define crowdsourced intelligence? So we look at it in terms of it's the act of getting a large group of people and typically it's the general public to work together in order to share information. You know, we look at it from a from an incident perspective. So we're actively out there trying to gather as much information as possible about what's happening globally which is a huge task in itself. And we see crowdsourcing as being a force multiplier for what we're trying to achieve um, for a variety of different reasons. You know, yes, we have 13 full-time analysts from a variety of different nationalities who speak different languages, but in part we lose or we don't get that local context. So it's all well and good me sitting here in the Northeast of England and reporting on an incident in Rio. I've never been to Brazil, I've never been to Rio. That local context really comes through from the crowdsourced perspective. Yes, it brings its own challenges in terms of fact-checking the information and putting in place the rigors in order to ensure the information is accurate before we disseminate it to our clients. But for us, we see it as being a force multiplier in terms of increasing our um our footprint of global coverage, but also that consistency of data and that local flavor as well. That's what we feel we get from the crowdsourcing that we do. So what kind of projects are you guys working on then at, at Intelligence Fusion? I mean, crowdsourcing, it's still fairly new. It's still a fairly new concept, even though there are so many different organizations out there who are doing it, even if they don't know that they're doing it. So we're 
at the moment kind of trying to test it. We've done it historically with our clients. So we'll have you know, an active network of clients around the world who are fed into our Slack channels and they'll actually report instance that we've missed on our platform and then they want us to actually upload. But we're now expanding it to a more broader set of people. So one thing that we've done recently is create a Discord service. We created that Discord server about three months ago. And for people who don't know what Discord is, it's kind of a, a gamer platform that people can use in order to, to play games and chat to their friends. I mean, I was kind of trying to sort of pitch this to my board and, and explain them to what, um, what Discord is. And they were saying, well, why don't they use sort of WhatsApp or these sorts of platforms? And kind of chatting to the younger members of staff with Intelligence Fusion, they don't use WhatsApp anymore to chat with their friends. They just sit on Discord servers and they speak and they can sort of share their audio. And there's a lot of really useful features with Discord where it can sort of place the content that's coming through. There are auto-translation features. So it's a really, really useful tool. So three months ago, we set our Discord community up. We now have over 430 members that are on there from a variety of different backgrounds. A lot of them are Ozzy enthusiasts, but there are quite a few sort of security professionals, intelligence professionals that are on there as well. And what they see is exactly what we see in it is the ability for us to share what we are seeing out there and them to also participate and share what they're seeing as well. So together, we're kind of trying to solve this this issue of, of getting that full global um, intelligence feed as, as to what's happening around the world. And then for us, once we've kind of proven the concept, you know, we want to get that community to be 10,000 people strong. And then once we're kind of happy that we've really proven that this concept works, our plan is to actually build it into our platform. So kind of move it away from Discord and actually make it part of the Intelligence Fusion platform. What kind of like questions are you guys answering for for your customers? Like what kind of scenarios would you be investigating? So, I mean, we've seen, like I've seen crowdsourcing done um, regularly on Reddit. So a terrorist attack will happen, it's in London, and you'll have 200 people, 200 Reddit um, participants who are on that channel who are actually sharing information regarding what's happening. Because people want to be, you know, they don't want to just kind of watch the news. Some people want to actually um, be part of the news and actually um, engage with it. And I certainly saw this as from the Iraq conflict to then the rise of the Syrian conflict. You had so many more armchair analysts um, with the sort of rise of social media platforms like Twitter, people out there who are actually sharing information regarding what they're finding. So for us, it's exactly like what they're doing on Reddit. You know, they're kind of, we're collating information regarding a terrorist incident and so are the people who are on Reddit. And that's kind of in part what we're doing on Discord. But it could be anything from, you know, we've created a channel recently for the um, Ukraine-Russia crisis. We did one for the COP26 um, event that happened a few months back. And I think that's kind of where we get a lot more engagement as to where we actually create a very specific channel um, and people who are interested in what's happening will then come on and share information. It kind of feeds into one of my bugbears from an intelligence perspective is just how much duplication of effort there is globally. You know, every time a terrorist attack happens, we're collecting that information, all of our competitors are, the police, the security services, military, um, NGOs, journalists, all these different organizations, we're collecting exactly the same information, we're collecting exactly the same incident. And there's so much duplication of effort and wasted resources so us with our sort of crowdsourcing initiative and our Discord server, we're trying to reduce that duplication of effort by being open and transparent about what we're gathering because we feel there's a relationship there that can be had with our Discord users in order to, one, gather the information more quickly by having multiple eyes on the problem, but also having more eyes and, and expert opinions. It helps put more rigor into our intelligence analysis that we, we disseminate. So we kind of see multiple aspects that are a benefit. But yeah, there are pro problems that can be caused from crowdsourcing like disinformation and misinformation. We have to put in place certain measures to, to mitigate those issues. A lot of keywords there that I kind of tune into that I take this conversation a lot of different directions. But one of the things I was thinking about when you mentioned Reddit was just the, the speed and the context that you can get when a lot of situations pop up. So I remember a 
few months ago, there was a, a fire nearby in my, in my neighborhood and a big explosion and everything like that. And it just, I didn't go to the news networks right away because that would take hours for any story to kind of pop up. I just on Reddit, everyone's discussing what the issue is. And within a few minutes, it's caused the incident. Obviously, you know, verifying and false rumors is the challenge, but you can just find stuff out so much, so much quicker in those situations. I think there's kind of that local global perspective for the the participant. We look at crowdsourcing from that global perspective. You know, us as a company, we cover everything from low-level criminality through to hazards, terrorism, and conflict and more. But so I'm from a small town in the northeast of England. I'm on a face group um, channel within there. It has about 10,000 people from my town, and it's people selling furniture or whatever. But then when incidents happen within my town, you should see how quickly the people gather that information. There was an incident a few months back um, where... Um, was kind of a stabbing at a local pub and i was kind of just sitting in the comment section just watching people bring this up and it was amazing how quickly they found out who the participants were what actually happened with the incident so that's kind of from a local perspective that's people in a local town using facebook to kind of crowdsource the data and share information to what they're finding but then for us we kind of take it to that more global level we're trying to find out these major incidents that really impact our clients globally so i think crowdsourcing is it's just starting to get real traction and people are really starting to understand what it is but i think this is just going to grow and grow and i think certainly for our sector from an intelligence perspective i think whoever really nails crowdsourcing will really dominate the intelligence realm that we operate in i like that point that you made about local versus global and i, I just think about sometimes when you have someone from outside an area kind of commenting on how things work. And and I've seen it in my own city when people will be talking about it. And it's like, mm, didn't quite get it right. You just those subtle contexts, which you and you can capture that local knowledge uh, can be enormously valuable. You've raised a couple of objections and uh, already or, or some perspectives that might make people skeptical about about using crowdsource intelligence. And one of them is just policing the information and verifying what people are actually seeing online. How do you respond to people that might be skeptical about that? There's kind of a few aspects to it. One is crowdsourcing is really being driven now by the technological era. People live their lives through their mobile phones now and you know an incident happens on the street, a crime, and you will get people who will just the first thing they do is they get their phone out, they're taking pictures, they're taking videos. And that's why, you know, certain intelligence companies who perhaps source from Twitter do so well because you know a lot of times news is broken very quickly on Twitter because people are putting images and videos on there. So I think there's kind of that kind of passive crowdsourcing where people don't really know that their information is being sourced for those reasons to the active crowdsourcing where you actually have a, a network of people who are engaged and know what they're doing and know why they're kind of providing that information. And a perfect example is the Rupley platform. It's kind of the RT news outlet stringer platform. So they will say there's an incident happening at this location. If you can get us footage of this, we'll pay you $30 something along those lines. So they're crowdsourcing for, for images and videos. For us, we put um, intelligent doctrine at the heart of everything we do. Um, so you know, we use the intelligence cycle, direction, collection, processing, and dissemination. And from the processing side, that's the really key part. So we look at collation, evaluation, analysis, integration, interpretation, and we grade all of our sources. So we'll grade sources in terms of their credibility and their reliability to ensure the accuracy of the information. And what we're always trying to achieve is multiplicity and balance in terms of our sources. So, and I say that coming from a realm where I'll often see 
perhaps some competitors where they'll kind of have multiple sources, which are really just circular reporting of an original source because it's been reported elsewhere from the same original news outlet. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for actual alternate sources that are confirming that that incident did occur. So I think for us, it's about using intelligence doctrine at the heart of everything we do, using training as well. And that's a key thing from you know, our perspective. We sit very much at that tactical level of intelligence, so those incidents that are happening on the ground. And because our analysts look at such wide geographical regions, covering you know perhaps 100 incidents a day they really get a flavor and an understanding and just a gut feeling for what is normal what is a normal type of incident so when certain incidents occur that just don't feel right they kind of have their spidey senses in relation to that and, and they can kind of flag that and go that doesn't feel right to me i need to flag, i need to look at a bit more detail of that the perfect case of that is the ollie Mers incident where um you know a few years back ollie Mers is a sort of uk um pop celebrity and he tweeted saying there's a terrorist attack happening in london i've been locked into a department store and that wasn't the case at all. It was a couple of guys had a punch up on one of the tube stations. And we looked at that incident and, and looking at what he said, and then we were looking at the atmospherics and what was happening. We saw nothing to suggest a terrorist attack had occurred. So we reported that on our platform as, as a security operation. And lo and behold, it then turned out that it was actually, uh, it was just a, a punch up on the, on the tube station. The key thing there is, you know, if you're using an algorithmic approach and your algorithm is saying, right, a thousand people are now tweeting saying this is a terrorist attack that's not the right way. You're not going to get the right answer to that question. Whereas I think the human element is absolutely key, certainly from using crowdsourcing, because I think you need that almost that established baseline that our analysts pick up through their day-to-day research. And then they have the indication by the instant that comes through as to that doesn't feel right, that needs a bit more probing. And wherever possible, we're always looking for those secondary additional sources whilst using our training and using things like the admiralty skill to weed out um, sources that are um, that are incorrect or trying to be deceptive. That point about using artificial intelligence sometimes to automate everything, it's these algorithms can be very easy to game for, you know, nefarious state actors. And so having that that human check is just so important. Absolutely. You know, another objection that I could imagine with crowdsourcing is just companies that are very skeptical about sharing their data and information. It's usually very expensive to kind of accumulate this kind of stuff. It can be very proprietary. So what would be your response to, to that? I mean, going back to the Basra example from 2010, that's exactly what we saw. Um, you know, people were they were happy to share information in the moment because they get some value from it. But often, if it was something that perhaps had happened to them or their company, there are clearly confidentiality issues, which can be an, uh, an issue regarding the sharing information. And then it comes back to the old idea of knowledge is power, and people will keep that information to themselves because they think it gives them some sort of value. Like, we're not like that at all. We're, we're completely open and, and transparent about how we operate. And we think that is the best way to kind of come at this issue because if you're, I mean, I, I've been invited to, to, to multiple of these sort of JSARC events where they talk about, right, the issue, what about the issue of knife crime in London? What can we do about it? And things like data trusts and, uh, are brought up where they talk about, right, let's share all the information that we have. And I've never seen that kind of been put into place. But that's exactly what we're trying to do here. You know, we're trying to just create this data trust between commercial and non-commercial organizations, individuals who just have an interest in kind of doing some good. I think the key thing for us is it's kind of that democratization of data, that democratization of information. And there are lots of really interesting organizations who are out there doing crowdsourcing for good. I mean, we, we sponsor an organization called Trace Labs, and they have these capture the flag events. So, you know, the capture the flag events originally came from cybersecurity professionals. These would be white hat um, hackers who they would set up sort of 
vulnerabilities as a game and they would actually have to flag these vulnerabilities. Now what Trace Labs have done, rather than these cyber vulnerabilities, they're getting cyber professionals and OSINT professionals to actually find missing people. So they'll have um, an event, they'll perhaps have five to 12 missing people globally and these names have been provided by law enforcement um, professionals and the law enforcement professionals might say something along the lines of, um, this person's been missing for a couple of years, there's quite a lot of online about this person, we think your community might be able to help us actually locate them. And then you've got perhaps 100 teams of, of four people are out there trying to find this person online, so actually crowdsourcing, trying to crowdsolve this issue of where this missing person is. And they've had amazing successes. I mean, there's one, so we had them on our podcast, and they were talking to us about this one um, event that they had in Toronto. And it was a live event. They had Toronto police there with them. And there was a, a missing person who'd been missing for like two years. And within two hours, one of the participants found a YouTube video of the missing person getting into a truck. They were able to pause the video, find the license plate. They actually gave that to the Toronto police during the event. A couple of days later, the Toronto police then sent out a vehicle to the address who actually located the missing person. So there's amazing projects out there that people can get involved in. And the bar to entry for these projects is very low. It's, you know, if you're an Aussie enthusiast, you can join these, these projects. But there's you know, amazing projects out there that are using crowdsourcing now that people can get involved with. But as with everything, people will attempt to adapt them and, and change them to their own wills as we see with disinformation and misinformation, not with these sorts of projects, but certainly for what we do where there are established narratives that people want to get out. Just look at Russia and Ukraine now and the, the sort of the information warfare that's going on regarding what's happening and what may cause this conflict to erupt. These are the sort of issues that us as a, a company doing crowdsourcing from an intelligence perspective, looking at incidents and geopolitics, these are the things that we have to weed out. It would be interesting to see what you guys are seeing with misinformation in that part of the world right now. I'm glad you mentioned Trace Labs there because that's kind of where I want to take the conversation next is just you know some practical takeaways for someone that maybe wants to uh, embrace this concept. So I can kind of see this going in two ways and two audiences that I want to address. One might be the corporate intelligence analyst or, or maybe just an OSINT enthusiast that wants to get involved. But I'd also like to talk about from the perspective of a security director that would like to start using some of this concept to safeguard their organization. So in terms of, let's start with that first one, the, you know, either the OSINT or the in-house analyst that wants to embrace crowdsource intelligence, where would you suggest that they get started? I mean, YouTube, just go to YouTube and type in, you know, open source investigation methods, open source intelligence tools. And there's a lot of really good videos on there and, and great trainers who are providing free content. So you know, YouTube is fantastic. First place to go to. Then once you got, you're a bit more confident, try a Trace Labs event. Just join, you know, you don't have to have a team. You can just go and say, you know, look, I need to join a team. Is there anybody who can, I can join? In? And generally people find other people to kind of do the event with. And Trace Labs have so many fantastic resources. They've got this uh, virtual machine, which with all these cyber tools that you can use as well as just generic open source intelligence tools. And I think it's all well and good doing the, the theoretical part of, of open source intelligence and crowdsourcing. It's another to, to then put it into practice. And that's where things like Trace Labs are really good because you're actually putting it into practice for a good cause. And then depending on what your interest is, you know, if you're interested in, in incidents and conflict and geopolitics, you could join a Discord server like Intelligence Fusions. But there are other Discord servers out there for you know organizations like Bellingcat. Trace Labs have their own Discord server out there. You can join there. So for us on ours, we kind of break it down by different geographical channels. And within 
there, you can engage with our senior and our junior analysts and ask them questions regarding regions. But we also have um, like a resources section where if we find, right, that's a really good tool to actually auto-translate, you know, as you're reading the web, we'll put that in there as well. And so, yeah, I mean, and once you get involved, you kind of join the community and you kind of, you find yourself branching off into other initiatives and other groups and other LinkedIn channels or whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, I think the first step for me would be to just go on YouTube and kind of learn a bit about open source intelligence and crowdsourcing and then try joining perhaps a Discord server or join the Trace Labs and capture the flag event. Is there a big technical barrier to kind of participating in these things? Do I need to be like a super cybersecurity expert for that? No, absolutely not. I mean, there's loads of tools on there that are, from Tristan's perspective, that are they are quite technical, but I didn't use them. I kind of substituted for... A friend of mine, he had a team um, called the Mandalorians. Their first Trace Labs event, they came uh, third. And a person couldn't do the next event, so I was asked to substitute. And, and I said to them, I, clearly, if we come any lower than third, it's my fault because I'm the kind of the different um, the different actor here amongst our team. Luckily, we came third again. But, so you were in the clear. You were... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we kind of... Certainly for myself, coming from a military intelligence background, OSINT is kind of where I sit. You know, if you're good at researching, if you're good at, you know, looking at Facebook or looking at Twitter and finding people on YouTube and following that branch of knowledge, you'll do fine. And, you know, you're not expected to kind of find these people in part. It's enjoyable because you're doing something for good. But there's a bonus there if you actually manage to provide any information that could find that person. So no, I think, you know, as long as you are, you have an interest and perhaps you do a little bit of research regarding open source intelligence, it's a fairly low bar to get involved in this. Right. There's no penalty if you screw up. No, no, absolutely not. Kind of taking this more into inside like a business or an organization. So say I'm a, a security manager or security director. Do you have any insights on how someone in, in one of those positions could start exploiting crowdsource intelligence to safeguard their organization? You know, in part, the people who engage with us on on Discord and join our Discord service, we've got like security managers, we've got directors of intelligence who are on there because they're seeing value from it. You know, they can share information with us and they can then engage with our analysts and ask them questions. And our analysts who look at these regions on a regular basis can provide them with their own insight. So you can do that straight away. I mean, often what it is, is we're trying to solve very specific problems to our organization and often what people are lacking is that historical context or situational awareness regarding you know and perhaps a location or a topic and i think that's where this can be of real value to people you know, before i i founded intelligence fusion and we had our platform i do outsourced um, intelligence consultancy to some organizations say for example there was a a road move from one location in africa to another location and they didn't have a platform or a database of historical incidents i'd have to be spending two or three days gathering that historical historical data so I could then write the threat assessment in relation to it. So that was my kind of problem space at the time. And I'm sure security managers and, and people from you know, organizations have their own problem spaces. And these are environments where people can come, engage, and perhaps ask questions and get those, those questions answers by people who are already looking at that issue. So, I mean, we regularly put out um, pictorial intelligence summaries regarding incidents or write free analysis that, that goes out there. Yet, it's for marketing purposes. You know, we want people to come to our website, get in the top of the funnel, and hopefully they eventually become clients. But, you know, there are lots of other organizations out there who are doing what we're doing, who, you know, if they're happy to engage with crowdsourcing and get value from their community by providing value, you can get that from these sorts of, these sorts of groups. We kind of, or you kind of mentioned earlier about how you see this kind of space playing up and, and who's going to uh, really capture the market over the next you know, five or 10 years and, and the importance of crowdsource intelligence for that. So give me your crystal ball, Michael, of, of how do you see this space playing out over the next, say, decade or so? Purely from an intelligence sector perspective, you have, you've got the SMEs 
who they focus on very specific locations or very specific topics who, who know a lot about their area. You've then got the sort of the crisis management companies who perhaps have an intelligence who will focus on specific areas where they have operations. Then you've got the providers like ourselves who purely focus on intelligence. You know, when I set up Intelligence Fusion, I, I didn't want us to have, do security consultancy or the other things because I felt like it slightly diluted our offering. We are very, very focused on we do tactical level intelligence. I think... In part, you see some of the bigger players who can afford to perhaps take the Twitter firehose who are doing crowdsourcing through passive data sets, people who don't know that their data is being used for what it's being used for. And then you've got providers like us where we're trying to create an active network of professionals which adds a lot more weight to the data that they're providing. And we can then, rather than just kind of using people or passively to kind of ask these questions, we're actually crowdsolving issues together. And so real crowdsourcing regarding what's happening. Also personally, you know, we're called Intelligence Fusion for a reason. We fuse data mining with machine learning, internal collection, and crowdsourcing. And I think what we're generally trying to do as intelligence providers is we're trying to provide speed of incident reporting. We're trying to provide depth, so a map that is covered in pins, not having gaps in certain countries because they don't tweet. We're trying to provide the consistency of coverage as well, as well as the so what factor. So it's all well and good us saying this incident happened here. What we should also be saying is, and this is why it is important to you, because this is a very expensive issue to solve, certainly smaller companies like my own, we have to do it through by, by um, using things like crowdsourcing as a force multiplier because we don't have that local context in certain regions. You know, we've got certain nationalities who are full-time members on our team. There are certain areas where we're kind of coming at it from a, a blind perspective because we're just looking at these issues from, from you know, no knowledge at all. And I think... It has to be a blended approach if you're going to answer all of those questions. And then the big one, of course, is about being predictive with intelligence, which is a key one for me and something that I think can be done. But I think you've got to have that consistency of data first because that, that allows you to kind of pick out those historical patterns and trends and then say, right, this is historically what we've seen. Based on our analysis, we'll likely see these patterns and trends happen in the future. So I think whoever ends up really dominating the space, they have to be able to answer all, answer all of those questions and they have to be doing intelligence from the tactical to the strategic level. You know, we focus very much on the tactical level because it's easier for us to then go to the operational strategic level. It's much more difficult for someone who's just kind of sitting there writing about what's the geopolitical outlook for the Middle East to then come down to our level and do this tactical level data. So it's a clearly, it's a, I'm painting a very, very difficult problem that we're all trying to solve. But I think if you can fuse data mining, machine learning with internal collection and crowdsourcing and really get that crowdsource network to work as well as operating between those levels of tactical, operational, strategic. I think that's the player who will end up dominating this space. So Michael, we're coming up at the end of the hour, which is all I promised to steal from you today, but I appreciate you coming on to our show and, and sharing your insights with our listeners. What is the main takeaway that you want listeners to remember from our conversation? I think it's that crowdsourcing isn't something to be feared, which when I was sort of banging on about this about 10 years ago, that's all I was getting from kind of fellow professionals of, well, you know, this is going to cause so many issues. And what about if you're trying to incentivize them, they're just going to give you information that is inaccurate. And um, is with the, the advance in technology, as well as 
a generation that are coming through now who who want to get involved. You know, they want to do good and want to see the democratization of data. Um, is that crowdsourcing isn't something to be feared? It's something that can do real good. You know, you've got trace styles, but you've also got things like you know, Europol. They do this um, stop child abuse trace and object initiative where they will actually provide images which are coming from uh, child abuse cases, and these might be kind of select portions of images. It might show a T-shirt, it might show an object, and what they're trying to do is crowdsource where that location is so it helps them with their and what they're trying to do in terms of trying to solve this case so i think there are a lot of really interesting initiatives where crowdsourcing is really starting to to do good this is only going to grow in the future so i think not to be afraid of crowdsourcing and and if you are if it's of interest and you kind of feel there's some value that you'll get from it and and you can provide value to to some initiatives i'd say get involved well it's definitely an exciting time to be in the space absolutely and if uh, listeners want to reach out what's the best way to get in touch so, I mean, our website's intelligencefusion.co.uk. I can send over a link. Perhaps you can stick in the description box for our Discord server and people can join and, and engage with myself, all my senior analysts and our junior analysts and the team at IF. So, yeah, that's probably the best place is our Discord server. I'll definitely put that link in the show notes for everybody. All right, Michael, thanks for joining me today. No, thanks, Robert. I really appreciate it. It was good. Again, that was Michael McCabe, CEO of Intelligence Fusion. That's all for this week's show. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to these episodes. And if you'd like to learn more about building a successful threat intelligence program, be sure to check out our website at liferafinc.com. That's liferafinc.com. And I hope you tune in next time.